<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Francis Schaeffer said, Truth always carries with it confrontation. Truth demands confrontation, loving confrontation nevertheless. If our reflex action is always accommodation, regardless of the centrality of the truth involved, there is something wrong. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hi. And we're so thankful you're joining us today. Um, if you're new here, uh, don't let the name fool you. We are very religious, very Christian folks. It's just that the world and more specifically, this country we find ourselves in is increasingly secular, godless, or religionless, if you would say. So that's where the name comes from. Um, we'll be taking a look today, as we always do. Had a few news stories, stuff that we thought was noteworthy to us. And rather than looking at what we've been doing, the Gender Indoctrination Podcast, um, we're going to be discussing a different podcast today. So um, we'll be doing that during our Bible topic. So that means we're going to skip assurances of salvation for this week as well. We just have too many news stories plus the Bible topic. You know, we don't want this to run on forever. So we're just going to hit the news, hit the podcast discussion. And then next week, hopefully, depending on what the world throws at us, we'll come back with gender indoctrination, episode three, plus assurance of salvation, episode five, or point five. Um, so the reason we're skipping that is because this week, you know, we've told you guys in the past to listen to Jason Whitlock's fearless podcast, um, still recommend you do it. And this week, he had a fellow by the name of Bishop Nathaniel on his show, who is the leader of a group or organization called Israel United for Christ, which is a black Hebrew Israelite organization. So Nikki and I wanted to discuss, you know, the conversation that he had with Jason Whitlock, because for us, maybe like most of you, this black Hebrew Israelite um, group or their faith, whatever it is, is um, not very well known to us. So this was really our first large exposure to that. Um, and it was very interesting. So we'll be discussing that today in kind of the back half of the episode. 
Um, but before we get to all of that, honey, is there anything you would like to say? Yeah, I'm just asking for prayers when we go to Michigan on uh, a couple weeks. Um, it's been almost four years since been yeah four. <laughs> like, is it three? No, almost four years since we've been back there to see family and friends. So please pray for our safety. Um, haven't driven in any crazy snow in a long time. We didn't get that much in New Mexico. Did snow there a little, but nothing where you needed the plow trucks. So we should check our tires <laughs> before we go. Yeah. Maybe get some new tires. But anyway, just pray for our safety. And um, hopefully we get to see everybody we plan on seeing, trying to, um, yeah, plan that out. Seems like every day we'll be doing something, visiting somebody. So it'd be nice to get to see all the family and friends that we would like to see. So prayers for that. <laughs> yeah. Prayers for that. That's still a little bit away. Um, but please be praying for us there. Um, you can pray also for a lady named Amy. So if you guys are aware, a few weeks ago or so now, we had kind of put out a petition. If anybody knew someone that could, you know, be, a, I guess, blessed by sort of a an unexpected gift box over the Christmas holiday season. You know, we wanted to take whatever meager earnings we've gotten from this podcast for the year. We wanted to bless people and just give that money back to God in a way. So we put it out and we got a lady, um, her name sent to us and just a little bit about her story. She suffered some pretty devastating losses in her family this year. And so we did put together her a gift box for her. Um, we got a great little book by a Puritan preacher called Facing Grief. We got for her. Um, we bought her a Spurgeon Study Bible, which seems awesome. I know. <laughs> I'm about I'm to like, get myself one. I want one. <laughs> um, and then we got her just a couple of Christmas ornaments and like a $50 gift card to send out to her, you know, so hopefully it can show up and maybe bless her. And my or favorite candy. And some Ferrero Rochars, yeah. Um, you know those are good. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully it'll bless her. And then just with the rest of the money that we have for the podcast um, that we've made, we've just contributed it to the Good News Jail and Prison Ministry, which is who I volunteer through. So we, uh, they give out these hope packs um, during the Christmas season. You know, it's gospel messages and stuff like that for the guys in jail. And then sent some money to help support the local chaplain. So that's kind of where we spent, you know, we have about 250 bucks that we've made on this podcast this year. So that's what we spent the money on was blessing somebody and then uh, sending it to the ministry that I um, volunteer with. So there's some links up. You can see if you're watching the video, we'll have links down in the show notes as well. If you want to consider contributing to the show, supporting in some way, uh, we'd be certainly blessed by that. There's affiliate links. If you want to go buy some stuff, um, we'll get a small percentage of that. There's, you know, buy me a coffee. If you just want to support the show directly, we got t-shirts on the website, you can go and buy and help out um, all of that sort of stuff. So yeah, pray for Amy, though, pray that she would be blessed. Yeah. And God would ease, you know, whatever pain and bring peace on her in this Christmas season without family. So um, and then as before we get to the news, you guys know, um, 
big fans of Cardinal Contingency Solutions. We highly recommend you go give them a call and or send them an email and talk to them about how they can help you get prepared, you know, for the unexpected, right? How can you prepare for the unexpected? Cardinal is the best in the world at training for it, whether you're government officials, law enforcement, if you're a church sending folks out on missionary work. Um, if you're a business owner and <laughs> you want to know what to do the next time BLM comes through burning <laughs> your city to the ground, call Cardinal. They've got um, the experts to help you. And I think you will be happy with the results. Also, you guys know we're proud members of the Christian podcast community. And you can go on there. You can find us. Here we are. Um, 55 to 60 other good godly men and women producing podcasts and um, maybe go on there and listen to our new daily devotional starting in December. We're doing uh, we're reading through an Advent devotional and commenting on it from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know, he's our favorite on this show. So go check that out. Check out some of the other podcasters. I think you'll like it. All right. Anything else? Oh, it's that time, then, <laughs> folks. Especially for today, gird your loins, empty your bladder, put on the full armor of God as we prepare to take our weekly trek through the valley of the shadow of death. Take a look at the news of the week. All right. So, um, Balenciaga, <laughs> if you guys are familiar with that, I was not. They were in the news this week for an ad campaign that they ran um, with a, here, I'll just let, do you want to read this headline, honey? Balenciaga, we're sorry for running ads featuring kids and teddy bears in bondage gear. Yep. So Balenciaga, and you can see if you're watching the video, you can see some of the pictures here. But they ran an ad with very young children holding what appears to be, you know, some sexually outfitted teddy bears, you know, S&M outfitted teddy bears. And if you are unfamiliar with Balenciaga, um, Who is? they familiar? are a clothing brand <laughs> that sells $500 tank tops. Who buys um, that? The celebrity class. It's just for celebrities, I'm assuming. It's one of those <laughs> popular brands. I mean, they sell $1,150 running shoes that are hideous, in my personal opinion. $250 children's sweat shorts. And they also sell for a meager price of $210 a single pair of socks. <laughs> so, um, you know, how do you entice people to spend insane amounts of money on simple clothing items? Well, according to Balenciaga, sexualize children, of course. What other uh, thing would you think to do? So wow. um, let me see. We did have some paragraphs from here. Yeah. Do you want to read these two paragraphs, honey? Spanish luxury clothing brand Balenciaga, which has now wiped its Instagram page clean is now saying sorry after mothers, fathers, grandparents, and all others with a brain saw what the brand was pushing with its 2023 spring collection. We apologize for, display for displaying unsettling documents in our campaign. 
we take this matter very seriously and are taking legal action against the parties responsible for creating the set and including unapproved items for our spring 23 campaign photo shoot, the company announced on Instagram story. Yep. So Hmm. Balenciaga, (laughs) you know, their response is basically what you would expect, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't our fault. It was a, you know, low level lackey did all of this on their own and we were completely unaware. Um, Boy, that's a surprising response, huh? But in our opinion, Balenciaga um, and the photographer are to blame. Although, you yeah. know, they both blamed each other. They said it was the photographer's fault. Photographer said, I just showed up and this is what they wanted. Um, they're both to blame, right? Because yeah. Balenciaga should not have decided to run an ad with children like this. And the photographer should have had a conscience and declined the photo shoot. Um, right, right. Right, because as far as I would guess, the main point is the reason they ran this ad and the reason the photographer was um, okay with it is they wanted to sexualize children. That was the goal. I mean, if you've seen the pictures here, it's not accidental. <laughs> you I bet know? you could look into like, is this the same photographer they've used in the past? Did they pay the photographer more money for this particular one? Probably. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they do it. I don't know. Just fine. Yeah, I'm not sure. But um, it just, you know, the reason I think this story stuck out to me, you know, we've talked a lot about the sexual perversion of our children. You know, we talk about it in the schools with the trans movement, um, all this sort of stuff. And this is just more of it, you know, in the whole world, it seems, and especially this celebrity class of people, you know, like we mentioned, the ones that would mm-hmm. actually purchase Balenciaga, because the only reason to purchase it is to show people you're wearing Balenciaga. If you've gone to their website, it's not attractive clothing. <laughs> like you're literally just buying it because it's expensive and people recognize what the logo is. Um, but it's for the celebrity class, right? It's even endorsed and promoted by Kim Kardashian. <laughs> so that's how celebrity, celebrity it is. Um, but it just seems that the whole world is bent on sexualizing children. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why, you know, Nikki and I, like so many others that you've probably heard and listened to that haven't really given our minds over completely to the antichrist, you know, spirit of the age, if you want to call it that, why we've been warning, you know, that a push for pedophilia normalization is not very far on the horizon, you know, because they can point fingers at each other, Balenciaga and the photographer. Sane adults don't accidentally put children in compromising sexual positions. <laughs> Perverts do that. You know, sane adults don't. They avoid it at all cost. People with no morals put kids in compromising sexual positions. So, you know, shame on Balenciaga, shame on the photographer, you know. But again, we're highlighting this story as more of a public service announcement. Get your children out of this culture, especially the celebrity entertainment culture. It's perverse. It's wicked. Get them out of there. This is just another example that they want to sexualize your children (laughs) and they're going to try. So Mm -hmm. it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we just wanted to highlight that. Not too much there. The next two stories, though, um, they both have to do with perversion. 
but more perversion and heresy in the Christian church. And I will use the Christian church here very loosely. So do you want to read this headline, honey? Crazy LGBTQ plus activists hired as chaplains, spiritual care interns at Wisconsin Children's Hospital. Love Jesus, be gay, get ordained. Boy, what a message. <laughs> um, Reading these headlines, though. Yeah. You always have me read them. I'm like, they're good. Oh, my gosh. Do you want to read that paragraph? A children's hospital in Wisconsin has recently come under fire after the public became aware that it had hired at least two leftist LGBTQ plus activists to offer religious and spiritual guidance to kids and parents in need. What kid doesn't need that? Um, do you want to read down to here? New chaplain Kate Neuendorp not only includes her preferred pronouns on her flyer, but she also goes into great detail about her so-called fiancé named Jensen, a biological woman who goes by they, he pronouns. Last January, Neuendorp created a GoFundMe account to help Jensen raise money so that she can undergo top surgery. And then we just have a couple more paragraphs. Mm -hmm to read here um my goodness you want to read down to uh yeah maybe like down to here yeah a few more oh, paragraphs um a further dive into new and social media activity reveals even more alarming leftist advocacy earlier this year she wrote on facebook love jesus be gay get ordained what better way to celebrate pride than being ordained, she stated. Many thanks to my church and classes for being willing to stand for queer folks being included in ministry and for allowing me to follow God's call. In June 2021, Christ Community Reformed Church in New York confirmed on Facebook that Reverend Kate Neuendorp had been officially ordained. However, Neuendorp must eventually have faced some pushback regarding her ordination because in October she wrote on her own Facebook wall. Also, your casual reminder that my validity as an ordained minister is currently under review by my denomination because of the love I feel for my fiance. Do better, church, because I'm not going anywhere. I was called, she added. Elsewhere, Neuendorp has also advocated for unfettered abortion access as a matter of religious freedom. Yes. Uh, Boy, she was called, though. Doesn't that sound like sounds like Samuel? I don't think she was called. They they just make it about themselves. They're not there to do. I am sure Satan ministry. Okay, maybe maybe she's. Yeah, but they're not there to do. They don't care about the ministry aspect. It's about them. No, 100 percent. And that was kind of the note that I wrote down here. Um, You know, and as we've said this probably many times before here as well. For these sort of far leftist people like Katie Neuendorp sounds like, their lifestyle is their religion. Yeah. Um, And they're their own gods, Mm -hmm. right? It'll just be whatever I am doing is God's, you know, plan for my life. And um, it's just, you know, faith in Christianity is really just an accessory for them. It's another identity marker Mm -hmm. to add, you know, I'm not just the trans girl, I'm the ordained trans girl, you know, whatever it is. and. 
it's an identity amplifier and nothing more um, because she wasn't called. You know, God's not going to call somebody that lives in completely abhorrent lifestyle, um, completely opposite of his commandments to go and uh, minister to his people uh, completely outside the realm of, you know, biblical understanding. But the article goes on, lest you think that's all they have to say. <laughs> Not a chance. Um, it says, in Neuendorp, uh, where are we at right here? In Neuendorp is not the only alarming spiritual advisor now on staff at, the chil- or at Children's Wisconsin. Spiritual care intern Meg Trim has also recently joined the team, and she has offered on TikTok similarly heretical thoughts about God and gender. God is trans. Trim, who uses they, them pronouns, insisted in one video. I am becoming convinced more and more that being transgender is not strange or broken to God, but possibly an integral part of God's saving work. She added in the video message, if God is beyond gender, then perhaps God is pangender or agender. Then perhaps God is non-binary, and then God became man. Oh my gosh. That is enlightening. God became a man? Like, they're thinking God was a woman first and then became no, a man? God was an asexual, amorphous being who came to become a man. He didn't make us in his image, of course. Um, but... But he's the only begotten son God. So Honey, how that dare right you there? say that? But, <laughs> you know, so Looney Tunes, they're crazy people. And I don't say that to be mean, but I mean, I, obviously the fact that they're transgendered, you would assume they have some sort of mental instability. Um, not trying to be hateful, but that's just the way I would see it. I just hate how but, everybody just slaps the name Christian on. It's like, no, you obviously serve another God. You say your God is trans, not the Christian God. Right. And that's the problem, right? Because this church should have just, you know, shared the gospel to her, asked her to accept it, and then kindly ushered her out from the building. Yeah. But instead, what did modern American church do? Go, well, I know she's living in complete objection to God's commandments. Let's ordain her. <laughs> that but seems about right. But it does say right. in the article that the family doesn't have to accept who they hired on. They can choose their own spiritual. Well, yeah, in the church or in the hospital, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, they I mean. don't have to let the chaplains come in. Right. Um, if they don't. Yeah, they're just there. I guess whoever doesn't mind. It's like you need to let people know. You know who that but is. I guess if you try to go down this rabbit hole of how they actually treat kids with this whole transgender LGBTQ movement. I mean, we know how they do it in schools. They don't ask parents before they come in. I mean, I would not be surprised if these people were going around just hopping in to say hi, checking in on kids, seeing how they're doing with or without parental consent. Um, But if you're thinking, like, how do these people come up with this stuff like Meg Trim? Maybe God is transgender. Well, that leads us to our next story. And if you want to read this headline, honey. Do I? Yes, you do. (laughs) Cambridge Dean says Jesus could have been transgender after truly shocking sermon proclaims Christ had. I don't even want to say that. I'll say it. (laughs) Decidedly vaginal appearance. 
Yes. Uh, Cambridge Dean. Okay. And this is based wanna... off of painting. Right. These three paragraphs here, of course. Hmm. Um, a university is it? Did you say Cambridge? Am Cambridge. I, yeah. I always pronounce things wrong. <laughs> a university of Cambridge dean claimed that Jesus Christ could have been transgender. The inflammatory comments were made by Dr. Michael Banner, who is the dean of Trinity College a constituent college of the University of Cambridge. Banner declared that it was a legitimate assertion that Jesus could have been transgender. The incendiary, I can't say that word either. The incendiary. Incendiary theory was made during Evansong at Trinity College Chapel on November 20th. And then just, yeah, this last paragraph here. Joshua Heath, a junior research fellow, displayed three paintings of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Heath pointed to Jean Malawell's uh, 1400 artwork, Pieta, as proof that Jesus was transgender because blood from the chest stab wound uh, from the spear of destiny flowed down to his groin. Yeah. So, <laughs> so based off that, okay. <laughs> you know, you think, well, where do these people like Meg Trim come up with these crazy ideas? Well, from academia, it would seem the same place where it seems we get most of these problems that are plaguing our society today. Academia, um, you know, smart people with nothing but time on their hands to come up with ludicrous theories. So this fella Joshua saw a painting that was made in the 1400s. So that was good enough for him and blood was flowing down to his groin region. Therefore, Jesus is transgendered. Um, but I bring these up to make the point, you know. I it, can't believe that this is something we're talking about. Right. And this is Cambridge we, College. Going right? on. You know, these are the European intellectuals. Um, at least I think it's in Europe, this Cambridge College. Either way, you know, I bring it up because these people aren't stupid or confused. Um, you know, the hospital, these women blaspheming the name of God, the Katie's and the Megs of the world, or these gentlemen at Cambridge, you know, they're not stupid people. As far as I see it, they hate Christianity. They hate biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. So these, in, you know, these insane theories, these heretical assertions about Christ, I think these are purposeful mockeries of the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And I would venture that they're designed to incite an anger in us. Um, again, because I would say they come from the same place. They came from the same spirit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're Satan's children. So they're there to mock us. They're there to incite anger among us. And I don't think they anymore, you know, really want to just silence us. They want to ridicule us. They want to demean us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of like what they did at universities. Um, destroy us from the inside, if you will. You know, they're wolves in sheep's clothing kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, I was just looking on Facebook and a friend had shared um, something from her school, elementary school that she went to. And I know you can have like clubs at school. You know, you can have a Bible club, like the good news um, that our kids went to. But now there's a, a Satan club for elementary kids. 
And their um, their flyer has like a little melody on it, mocking Christianity. And it says, Satan loves me. This I know for my inbox tells me so. And then they claim to not um, be a religion. And really, the, they just teach children to think for themselves and, you know, do other activities like science, STEM, stuff like that. It's like, well, if you don't claim to be a religion, why even go out like that and mock Christianity. It's like, it's not that you're a different religion. It's that you're antichrist is the issue. Yeah. It's not that I have a different religion to preach to you. It's I hate your religion and yeah. I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to participate in that religion. And they're not Satan. They say they're not Satanists. This is just another, like he brought up, it's a mockery. So it reminded me of this post I saw today that I was like, it's just a mockery. It is antichrist. Don't send your kids there to that group, obviously. I hope, I'm sure there's some crazy people that would, but I can't believe it's allowed. There are, I'm sure. But I mean, again, it's allowed because our schools are weak and they've given over to, um, you know, not really standing for anything anymore. Um, I mean, because even if that, they can go, wait, so you're not a religious organization, you're a religion mocking organization well we don't have to allow you here then right that's what i was going to say the school or the principal whoever was given the okay for it could have at least said yeah i have a different kind of flyer that's not mocking other people's religions you know because i'm certain if the christian group or whatever they wanted to call it at the school was like hey our christian group here is designed so we can sit around and talk about how stupid the islamic faith is they were no way they'd allow that to stand in their school they'd be right. like you know but if people want to come in and mock christianity i'm sure the teachers are probably there you know egging them on leading the charge they're bringing in kate and meg you know as ordained ministers so they can you know dye their hair purple and just be you know perfect representatives of i don't know the insulting they're hoping to heap on christianity i know i'm just like oh i like in a sense want to be one of the parents and just go in there and disrupt their class <laughs> and then preach the gospel to all those kids. Yeah. Well, and again, we've talked before the revolution is not going right. to argue yeah. at the school board about you shouldn't have these meetings here. No, the revolution is get your kids out of that place yeah. and bring them home and train them up in the way they should go. Um, but you know, with these stories, you know, the Katie and the Meg, obviously they're not reverends. They're not ordained in a real sense. They're not even chaplains in a traditional sense. Chaplains are um, spiritual, you know, advisors. They're religious men and women in organizations. Mm-hmm. These women are not religious. In they the can't traditional even claim sense. to be Christian. Yeah. No, they're not Christian. Cause they're not. Yeah. Um, they're activists. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause yeah, and like I said, I would not say that they're Christian either. Um, you can't live in open rebellion and objection to God's commands and be a Christian. That mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. Um, but you can live in open rebellion and against God and you can harm the witness of the church because when that church, like their church, um, allows you to live these lifestyles in open or in the open and then serve in these positions of authority. Yeah. You can really damage the witness of the Christian church. Um, Mm -hmm. you can really damage the witness of scripture and testimony, but you're not, you know, you're not a Christian. You're not ordained um, in any real sense. Right. 
And even these gentlemen, the banner and this Joshua Heath guy, you know, I was like, in olden days, they might have been dragged out of that building and stoned to death, right? Or at least flogged in the street Mm -hmm. um, for such, you know, heresy and blasphemy. Um, But, you know, in today's world, Banner's deanship could never be more secure than when he ridicules and um, speaks heretically against the Christian faith. Could never be more secure. But, you know, these are extreme, you know, these transgendered, although I guess they're becoming more and more commonplace. But, you know, I thought these are not really the heresies that we need to be worried about because they are, at least today, they're still so blatant. They're still so extreme that a lot of people can pick them out. Um, you know, people can see this sort of blatant perversion. Um, I guess the problem with that is we would need to have men and women who actually have courage, you know, that would be willing to actually hold their church accountable, um, mm-hmm. hold their people to adhering to the word of God. So, you know, maybe you could pray for their church. It's listed in the story here. Um, pray that they would actually care enough about God and the word to hold their church and their people accountable. Um, you know, it's a mockery, but we need to be leery. What I think is the subtle perversions of our churches and our faith, um, because this is what we've gone or what we've allowed to go on for so long. You know, you let the subtle perversions sort of linger and stew and then they build and the subtle turns into the major really quickly. And it kind of seems overnight, but it really hasn't been overnight. Um, you know, we've been allowing, you know, women and homosexuals and then transgender to sort of be around and not women be around, but like, you know, serve in leadership. And then, you know, homosexuals and transgenders just to be around everybody. God loves you. Just be here. You know, we'll love you into salvation. Until the point where they infiltrate and now they're members and now they're serving on committees. Well, if I'm already serving on committees, I might as well just be a preacher in this church as well, right? And the subtle becomes major pretty quickly. So, you know, I would just say in light of these stories, you know, examine your church, um, examine yourself for that matter. And, you know, see where, you know, examine yourself in light of God's word, examine your church in light of God's word. don't examine yourself in the light of these God-hating academics from Cambridge, um, pundits and that sort of thing. And wherever you find any sort of um, falling away or drifting from God's word, root it out. Have the courage to root it out in your life. Ask for other people's opinion. You know, don't be afraid to get some constructive criticism from godly men and women and try to catch it before it becomes something. Um, something serious and something major, you know, mm-hmm. it's not from God, get rid of it. Uh, because we're living in a world that's so wicked and sinful now. We really, and we have a great opportunity, which is sad. We do have a great opportunity to show the light um, to a lost and dying world. But it really takes some courage from us to root out the darkness, take the the basket off our lamp, if you will. Well, it does take courage because we're told the world will hate us because yeah. you don't know who you're going to be telling the truth to. Some will receive it and some, you know, will lash out at you. And it's like, you don't know <laughs> which people are going to do that. 
So no, yeah, I mean, you do especially need courage. In this transgender movement. I mean, because if you're going to speak out against Katie and Meg here, well, you're a hater. You know, you hate people. Why don't you love them? Why don't you want them to live their best life? And even if you try to tell them, I want them to live their best life according to God's commands and in close fellowship with the Lord, you know, walking away from sin. No, no, you're just, you hate them, you know, whatever happens to be. So it is courageous to step out into that. But boy, we need to be per- people of courage. So, um, just this last story here before we get into our podcast discussion, I wanted to touch on mostly because it's shameful. <laughs> and I just think it's worth recognizing. Because um, as we just kind of talked about with the last two stories, you know, in a world that's as insane and off the rails as ours, the church really has a great opportunity to be the grown ups in the room. You know, we have the opportunity to show the world truth to show them stability and all those sorts of things that could be enticing to a world that's looking for something solid because the culture, you know, the political world, it's not giving that to us. Um, So when we have this golden opportunity, well, then comes along vineyard Anaheim church. (laughs) So you want to read this headline, honey? Breakaway vineyard Anaheim pastors hit with 62 million fraud lawsuit, spiritual manipulation and deceit. And do you want to just read the first paragraph here? The widow of Vineyard USA founder, John Wimber, along with several former church board members, have hit Anaheim pastors Alan and Catherine Scott with a 62 million dollar fraud lawsuit nearly a year after the couple announced the church would break away from the charismatic denomination. Yep. So taking them to court, apparently none of these church members have ever read first Corinthians chapter six. Um, you know, it just can't, you can't help, but see it as a bit greedy, you know, self-seeking, I would say Christ embarrassing, um, in this. And the story goes on down here. It says, they alleged in Scott's job interview, this is the guy who took over the pastorship of the church, the couple claimed they would keep the Anaheim Vineyard in the vineyard movement worldwide and in the Vineyard USA. The couple was hired, the lawsuit says, based in part on that promise. But according to the lawsuit, the Scots always intended to remove Anaheim Vineyard and its $62 million in assets from the worldwide vineyard movement. Then it says, prior to coming to the United States, the Scots had led a vineyard congregation in Northern Ireland, but resigned from their position due to dissatisfaction with the denomination. So, kind of like we talked about with Saddleback and all these other church, apparently not a single qualified elder existed in Anaheim Vineyard to take over that church. So weird. Um, Not a qualified one. So instead, they opted for hiring a pastor from another country that had just previously left the denomination over dissatisfaction. They thought this is the right man for the job. that doesn't really speak of godly wisdom, does it? Um, so it doesn't really describe too much as to why they want to leave Vineyard. 
But the pastor does make mention in there that it's because the Holy Spirit told them to. He doesn't explain all the reasons why, just simply the Holy Spirit told me to. And, you know, those are tough nuts to crack, right? You can't argue with what God says. Doggone I mean, it. God if God called said it, the transgender woman to be ordained. Who are you to say? God <laughs> called her to be ordained and God called this pastor to leave this denomination. So it's settled. Um, explain to us what God told you. Nope. Can't. I just heard leave the church. So, um, you know, there's a lot that you could say here about the vineyard movement. It's founder, John Wimber, um, you know, the whole story about the vineyard movement, all that sort of stuff. But I just think, and why it stuck out to me is our world's on fire. There's crazy people everywhere. And here's just another embarrassment, black eye for the church. You know, the church should be out or should be taking these opportunities. Your church should be, my church should be to show a soundness and mm -hmm. show truth, you know, yeah. love, commitment, all those sort of biblical qualities um, to this lost and dying world. And instead, nah, we'll be just as worldly as everyone else. Let's drag the church and all of its members into some disgusting legal battle over buildings and money. Um, which we're commanded not to do, but we'll do it anyways. And then, oh, is icing on the cake. We'll let the California legal system get involved in settling church matters. Who wants to guess how this is going to end down the road? You think it's just going to be a once and done there in Gosh. California? Or are we just going to turn church matters over to the state of California that oh, hates goodness. everything about Christianity? <laughs> but hey, you know what? You'll get to keep your $7 million in uh, cash. I think it's a shame. I think it's embarrassing. It is. Um, yeah. If I was a member of the Vineyard Church in that area, Anaheim Vineyard Church, I'd be looking for a new church um, right about now because I think it's embarrassing. Shameful on a lot of fronts for a lot of people. Mm. So, you know, man, we got to strive in today's world to be the light. Uh, I think it's more necessary now than ever to be the light, to be grounded in truth. I know, because it doesn't seem like there's very much light no, left I mean, to find in most churches. No, so. I mean, these children, teens, whatever, like, where else are they going to look for something solid? Where you are know. they going to look for truth that they can get a grip on that won't change? Nowhere but the church. But when the church sells out its mission... You know, and then you're like, oh, I can't believe they're running to these, you know, Black Lives Matter groups and, you know, they're getting LGBTQ. Yeah, they're looking for something and the church isn't giving it. So um, your church should be my church should be. Um, but do you have any last thoughts on anything from the news before we roll into this black Hebrew Israelite discussion? Because <laughs> who's more qualified to talk about black Hebrew Israelites than Nikki and I? The whitest people you'll ever meet. Let's just dive in, babe. But as our <laughs> shirt here says, Galatians 3.28, we're yep. all one in Christ Jesus. So we love the Lord. So we're just as qualified as anybody, in yeah. my opinion. So um, we mentioned, you know, we're going to use Jason Whitlock's Fearless podcast as a discussion starter for sort of our Black Hebrew Israelite discussion. And... Um, as we mentioned in the podcast episode, 
he interviews this gentleman named Bishop Nathaniel, who is the leader of an organization called Israel United in Christ, um, which I guess is a black Hebrew Israelite organization. So I did pull up their website here. If you guys, uh, let me see if I can show it here. Israel United in Christ. It's um, uh, not a terrible website. You know, it's well made and yeah, uh, a lot of information up here. I know it's a little overwhelming, all the little tabs. So I just wanted to kind of give my, you know, the bottom line up front, you know, my nutshell understanding of their beliefs and, you know, just as best I could sum them up from looking at the website. There's a lot of information on the website. Listening to the podcast was good. Um, we're obviously by no means experts. Um, we're just really getting a cursory surface level understanding uh, of who this religious group is. You don't need to go very deep to realize what's wrong with it, though. No, you don't. And Jason Whitlock makes the point early on. You know, it sounds like racial idolatry. Yes. And, yes. you know, the more I look into it, the more I've listened, I would tend to agree, you know, but certainly let us know, you know, we're going to bring up a few points from the podcast and discuss them. If we're off base on this, please let us know. Like I said, we're by no means experts. We're just sort of dipping our toes in here on what this all is. And of course, this is just one group in the black Hebrew Israelite movement. It could be like the Christian movement. We're like, ah, oh, well, those are just the, the Presbyterian branch, you know, it, we're the Pentecostal branch over here. Who knows what? So, um, like I said, if we're off base on this, it's not to offend anybody. This is just as best we understand it. So what we understand, they're largely um, black folks, <laughs> as you would assume, um, but not exclusively black. That was something I learned. They believe blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans um, are the real Jews. And you can find this on their website. They just didn't, those. Just, well, what about those are the ones they mention. Um, and you can see, it's hard to see probably here, but if you go yeah, to their website, it sort of explains all of it there. So you can go and find it on your website. He didn't mention that in the podcast. I found that myself. Um, it sounds like they're King James onlyest. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they'll talk about that here. They advocate the keeping of the law. Again, that only black, Hispanic and Native Americans can be true Christians and therefore are the only ones that can be saved. You know, I don't know if maybe they would wrap in African Christians and those sorts of people, but they kind of make it clear that, you know, blacks, these Hebrew Israelites, they're the ones that can be saved. So we'll just kind of go through a few points that Bishop Nathaniel brought up. And the first point that they brought up is, and you can even see it here, I'll have it up on their website, but they brought up Deuteronomy 28. Uh, this seems to be sort of the seminal, um, or, you know, the seminal chapter in all of scripture for their movement is Deuteronomy 28. They refer, or they refer to it a lot. He referred to it a lot in this interview, but really it's Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68. And they say there 
And if you go on their website, they have the Deuteronomy 28 project, which is essentially simple expositions on all those verses. If you want to watch some little videos on them, but you know, they claim that 15 through 68 is sort of a prophetic reference to blacks coming to America during slavery. Uh, And they claim that this section of scripture could only pertain to blacks in America. Therefore, they're the real Israel. They're the real Jews. Um, And again, I can't say that I studied out Deuteronomy 28 too intensively um, yet, but really, you know, I'll just say, I mean, our big argument with them or disagreement with them is not really on who's the real Jews. I don't know that that, I mean, I don't know that they're the real Jews or they aren't, you know, but it doesn't make a difference to me either way. Um, I think that's really my big point here. So, and again, I don't know if there's ever, I would be amazed (laughs) if in the history of the world, the only slaves to have ever been boarded on ships and sent to a faraway land are slaves that have come to America. It just yeah. seems that in the history of the world, the barbaric, barbaric nature of our world and ancient times, it would be stunning to me if that was the only occurrence that that had ever happened. Does he acknowledge the fact that they sold their own people to America? Yes. Well, yeah, I, I think he acknowledges. He I think he did because I think Jason pressed him on that issue. He did ask it, but I wasn't sure um, if he agreed that that was a fact. Because they are, you know, he's open to the fact. Because if you read Deuteronomy 5, or 28, 15 through 68, it speaks about why these Israelites are going into slavery. And it's because they stopped adhering to God's commands. And that brought a curse on them. And that curse was slavery. And the bishop at least acknowledges that, yeah, we are living and we have lived in opposition to God's commands. Therefore, the curse has come on us. Um, so he's not making any real claim as to they unjustly went into slavery. He's pretty open that we earned that slavery, basically, um, mm. which I think would be interesting. I don't know how often the black Hebrew Israelites come to the, they don't seem to come to the white man's defense too often. But if they were like, hey, relax on the slavery talk about the founders. They were just enacting God's will for us being disobedient. I've never heard that message, Um, but who knows? Maybe they've said it somewhere, but they make the claim in Deuteronomy 26, the last verse of the chapter, I believe, verse 68. uh, They make the claim that again, that's them coming to America. And they say that no man will be able to buy them out of slavery. That's what I think it says in Deuteronomy 28, 68. And he goes on basically to assert that they're still in slavery because of this, because no man could buy them out. Really, only through adherence to God's commandments can God get them out of slavery. So since they still aren't walking according to God's commands completely, they're still in slavery was his point. They haven't been bought out of slavery because God said they couldn't be bought out of slavery. And look at everything is like literal. He does not see the spiritual um, context of prophecy. Well, and I would say he didn't even see the, the physical, the actual reality of it. Yeah. Because they go on. If you look, look on the website at that Deuteronomy, 
uh, 28 project here. You know, I think they have verse 68 down here is the one I listened to. And in there, from what I recall, he lists off a bunch of names of people who supposedly, you know, tried to free them, but failed, you know, but what's interesting is the one name they didn't mention <laughs> was Abraham Lincoln. They you didn't. Know, they didn't mention the Civil War, didn't mention the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th Amendment. So they think they're just as much in slavery. Yes. As and back he makes then. that point that, you know, what? even for the most um, wealthy, I think even they mentioned LeBron James in here that even as a billionaire, LeBron James is still a slave to the white man and the system. We're so, all a slave to the system. <laughs> well, right. So when LeBron James sells out, it's not because he's sold out it's because he's a slave to the system, you know, that sort of stuff. So he doesn't mention any of the civil war where we actually freed slaves in this country. That didn't actually, um, that wasn't actually part of the prophecy. They're still in slavery. Um, so that's part of their teaching is they're still in bondage. They're still in slavery. Um, and I did think it's interesting because one of Abraham Lincoln's nicknames is the American Moses because mm -hmm. he led the black people out of slavery. So um, I don't know that they would agree with that nickname there for Abraham Lincoln. I always thought it was a great one. I guess they would disagree with me. Did Jason say that? At no. all after the fact when he was no, talking he with the other guy. Up. And he was very courteous in this. Yeah, he you was. Know, he just wanted to allow, and I'll, you know, the reason he brought him on was his case was we need to have free speech. We need to hear ideas we don't agree with. And I'm a hundred percent agreement with that. Bring on people. You know, you want to hear the black Hebrew Israelite. We want to hear the Nazi opinion. We want to hear the crazy transgendered leftist opinion. We want to hear it because how else do you know what people think? You know, you can't pretend that these views don't exist. They do exist. And really, as Christians, we should wrestle with them. That's why we've actually enjoyed looking at this as much as we've had. We've never looked at it so much. And I've actually been in, you know, quasi discussions on Twitter with someone. And it. It's like irritating, you know, you hear I'm like keep, you know, saying something or I'll reference something in the scriptures that talk about, you know, Gentiles being saved. And it's like, they don't see that it doesn't exist, you know, so it's frustrating, but it's something you got to deal with. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting. The whole, they're still in slavery. So it's like, they don't believe the gospel then because, well, I mean, no, I would say they certainly don't, but they would probably claim they do just that it's a gospel message only for um for the israelites so it doesn't it's not a gospel message that goes out to the world um, it's only for the israelites nation, people right because i think for them they would say yes every tribe nation and tongue to where the israelites were scattered that's what I would assume be their interpretation of that. Okay, but I say that we're all descendants of Noah. What would they say about that? All of us are descendants of Noah. I couldn't tell you. Um, and again, maybe I'm off base on my understanding of them, you know, but that was the way reading their website, um, you know, because they make it clear on their website, you know, who can be saved? Only, you know, the Israelites can be saved. Only the Israelites can repent. 
these sorts. So I don't know how far reaching this goes, but you know, it is, it's confusing, but what do they say about people who actually have people who aren't an Israelite who actually have the testimony of God in their life, like the transformation power, like the hatred for sin, um, you know, desire for righteousness and holiness, a love for God, repentance, forgiveness, all these gifts of the spirit. And then to say to that person, you know, if they actually witness someone's life turn around like that and to say, well, no, you did where, that in your power, in your flesh, well, and I you don't did that speak for them because they may have, you know, that may not be the case. They may say, well, they're real Israelites or something. I mean, I don't know how they would work around that. I'm not going to say here that they would dismiss that. They may have a workaround because again, we don't understand all of their faith. So they may say, well, no, you're yeah. part of the one of the 12 tribes and you just didn't know it i mean i don't know what they would say but they certainly make it sound like you know if you were me and nikki as far as i understand it i'm not an israelite <laughs> but and we said no no we believe in christ we've repented we've called on his name we've seen the holy spirit work in us and bear fruit mm -hmm. i don't know if they would say well that's not authentic or if they would say, well, it is authentic. Yeah, I don't know what they would say. Because you know them by their fruit. You don't know them by the color of their skin. So maybe this is somewhere you guys can help out. If you're familiar with this at all, um, please let us know if you have a better grasp on what they might say in a situation like that. I think my questions are valid. Because I don't I want can... to besmirch this religion that I don't really understand that well. That's not my intent. It's just to kind of bring up what we thought of, what we heard and learned and what was pondering it based our on what we know. Yeah. These are our assumptions. Right. So one thing I found interesting early in the interview, um, Bishop Nathaniel, he described his religious upbringing. And I thought that was fascinating because he basically, you know, he describes it saying he really, he went to a bunch of churches throughout his life and they all, you know, the way he made them sound, they were wildly, you know, Pentecostal, like, he describes people falling on the floor, foaming at the mouth. You know, he talks about the first vagina I ever saw was women in the church falling down and their dresses going up and, you know, stuff that obviously we would not agree with here. But then he talks about, you know, he goes from these wild Pentecostal churches to Jehovah's Witness to Seventh-day Adventist churches, and he's all over the place and scattered. And, you know, it, the way it made me think, you know, when I heard that, and I think maybe it might be true for a lot of their adherents. Maybe that's something that draws them there is he's never really set in a church or set under sound biblical teaching. Yeah. You know, you're going from a crazy Pentecostal to a Jehovah's witness to an Adventist church. And you're just kind of picking up bits and pieces of false religions and wild, crazy, you know, interpretations. And then that sort of forms the man that becomes a black Hebrew Israelite. I mean, I don't know. Um, but like you said, he didn't have the gospel foundation, likely based off of his From what he described. What he described of Christian experience, he did not have it. Um, so I thought maybe you know just having kind of a hodgepodge of unbiblical or really in some of those churches heretical teachings um, could lead that you know um, because a lot of what the Israel United for Christ organization believes and stand for sort of confounds me. It's again, it seems sort of like a mismatch or a mix match of 
beliefs, um, you know, because they believe, again, that they're Jews. So they adhere to the law, they claim. <laughs> and I actually questioned someone on this little Twitter discussion because they talked about their adherence to the law. And I was like, no one adheres to the law. We can't adhere to the law perfectly. That's the reason we need Christ. And he's like, tell me one area where they don't adhere to the law. And I was like, oh, brother, like, you know, if you're talking Sermon on the Mount, I mean, you never lusted after a woman, like you're not adhering to the law. So, but they claim to adhere to the law. Yet, like Nick said, they believe in Jesus, who came to remove the burden of the law, you know, the strict adherence to the law. He, again, because we can't follow it. We couldn't follow it then. We can't follow it now. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, Christ came and ushered in grace. So somehow they believe that they're adhering to the law and they believe in Christ. Um, and I just wrote down here, Romans 1 17, you know, our faith makes us righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, the righteous shall live by faith. They dress in a way that they think is Old Testament. You know, they wear these long gowns. Let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, if you guys are watching on the video, probably shouldn't have scrolled all the way to the bottom of their Deuteronomy 28 project. <laughs> um, but you can see some of the outfits that they wear. Uh, and there'll be links to all the stories and this in the show notes if you want to check it out. But they have these purple and gold, um, you know, sort of robes. Is this what they wear to every service or is this like a special, like a conference or something? I think it's to their services and I think it's to, you know, maybe their events that they gather at. Because I don't think when the bishop was on Jason's podcast, I think he was just wearing a t-shirt. Do the I women wear that? Uh, no, but the picture, they do right? have looks rules. like just men there. Well, women are allowed. I don't know to what degree, but it does talk about in here somewhere with the women. You know, they're not to show their neckline. They're if they wear, it's like they can't wear pants. They have to have skirts down to their calf. They have to wear a head covering. So they're very Old Testament, at least in their church services and how they dress. Um, and then again. They're King James only in their Bible readings, you know, so they Old Testament, they wear the, uh, the fringes on their garments, the on their <laughs> hems, fringes on their hems. So it's kind of this, you know, mix match of Old Testament plus what I would say is racial idolatry plus Old Testament sort of dress with Christ thrown. It's very weird to me. But again, if you grew up in a, a Christian religious culture that was just kind of dumping a lot of heretical teachings and crazy interpretations, and you sort of formulated this religion, and then also built on sort of this racist or race-focused uh, personality, I guess, then it would make sense how you kind of come to this. I don't know. Uh, that's at least the way I see it all. So yeah, makes sense. Uh, something, you know, he said something and I tried to find a, the point in the podcast, but I couldn't remember uh, where it was. But he said something that I thought was very important. He said, you know, his faith was really turned when he realized ancient Hebrews were dark skinned. That's like when his faith was activated and hmm. turned on. Um, so he. His faith was turned on when he saw his skin color in the Bible. 
Um, because again, he mentions a lot in there in his church upbringing. You know, he was always taught Jesus, the apostles, the angels, they were Caucasian. That's what he was taught. So he only identifies with Christ on the basis of his skin color. That's what it sounds like now. So he made the claim in, you know, what you'll hear. And I think I might've mentioned this maybe a year and a half ago. Now I had some black Hebrew Israelite come on our Facebook page and, you know, type into me in all capital letters. So yelling at me through messages about, you know, your white Caucasian hippie Jesus. And they get really bent up about the white Jesus. They don't like it. Um, and he talks about how that's what he was taught. Everyone knows Jesus is white. The apostles are white, all this sort of stuff. And he was finally challenged on that as an older teen or young man, that Jesus and the apostles weren't white. They were actually dark skinned. You know, they were actually ancient Jews. Well, yeah. Who, who, figured. <laughs> who really thought they were white um, and living over in the Middle East? Because that was almost like the black Hebrew Israelite guy that was responding to me on Facebook was like trying to like poke me in the chest and like, your Jesus isn't white. And I was like, why would I ever suggest that he is? I, I don't, I wouldn't assume I that he's white. I don't know anybody who argues um, that he is white. You know, and I get that's the pictures that you see a lot, but again, I never, so maybe when I was a child, I guess, but when I was a child, I believed in Santa Claus. Yeah. Now yeah. I don't. And so I don't think of Jesus as a white man with long blonde hair. It never hair. was something like disappointing, like, oh, he's not white. Oh, he was always portrayed that way. It was never anything like, that I focused on either. I never thought about the skin color of Jesus. I was like, yeah, it makes sense. He doesn't have white skin. Oh, well. Right. But I think what stood out to me there when he says my faith, you know, really turned on when I realized that, you know, Jesus and these ancient Hebrews were dark skin. Um, you know, the Bible, Christ, the apostles, they teach that the gospel is the power unto salvation, mm -hmm. not recognition of your skin color. You know, Romans 116, right, says the gospel is the power unto oh. salvation. Um, so it's not seeing yourself in the Bible that awakens your spirit to new life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if his skin color is what brought him to a supposed faith in God, I would say that's a false conversion. It didn't take. Mm -hmm. Because only so, the gospel can turn a man's heart from stone to flesh, not yeah. recognizing that, you know what, Paul might have looked like me. Do you think that like, so if his conversion was based on realizing the color of Jesus' skin, are there any Christian Caucasians who've always thought Jesus was Caucasian and then, it, then they realized he isn't Caucasian? Did they turn away from the Christian faith because Jesus... Is it right, the same skin did, color? You would go, well, then you never believed in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And I think likewise, if someone goes, well, I believe in Jesus because he looked like me, you'd go, I'm not sure that your faith is grounded on the rock. That sounds like your, your foundation is built on sand. You know, you wanted to go to a Jesus Flesh teaching. Flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. So. No. So that I thought was very interesting there to come from him. That, you know, skin color is what set up a, a passion in him towards faith. Very bizarre. Um, and then I just, I guess, jump into the little Twitter conversation that I had with this. I'm assuming it was a supporter of his. And, you know, when uh, you look on Twitter, it wasn't, I don't know if this is common for all, you know, 
I feel like it's not common for all typical Christian preachers that just go on a, a radio show where it's just a flood of their supporters saying, thank you for having him on. Please have him back for more. Like maybe that happens a lot. I don't know. But all of the comments, there was like 200, 300 comments and it was all seemingly like his supporters being like, Hey, great interview. Thanks. Have him back. You know, thanks for being respectful and giving him a voice. And, uh, it just oh, seemed I'm weird. Sure. Yeah. You know, like, it almost made me think of like, if you brought the seventh day Adventist prophet or whatever they are, I don't know who they are on yeah. your show. And you'd be like trying to be overly nice and respectful. I don't know. It just seemed weird to me, but anywho, I made a comment and one of the guys that responded to me, um, you know, he said a bunch of the stuff or a bunch of stuff to me and, you know, quoting verses that, you know, I don't know, were weird and seemed out of place. Um, but one of the questions that I asked him back, I just asked him, who are the Gentiles? Uh, because Israel, uh, the Israel united for Christ, again, they believe only the 12 tribes of Israel can be saved. And, you know, I asked him, who are the Gentiles? When he responded with, um, there's one dictionary that describes Gentiles as basically Northern Jews, you know, he, but he did make in there, you know, usually they're described as non-Jews, but there's one dictionary that describes them as Jews. So that's the dictionary, obviously he's clinging to. And, um, I'll just pull up here. If you guys can see this, it's my, uh, logos Bible software, and it's not going to be easy to see here. But I have four different Bible dictionaries up here, Easton's, um, you know, Lexham's Bible dictionary, whatever, uh, two other ones. And if you can see here, each one of them says basically a Gentile is a non-Jew. You know, this one I think says uh, mm -hmm. a nation except for the Jews. You know, this one, the Lexhams talks about um, basically non-Jews. What concordance do they use? This one, I can't remember what this one is, but if you can read this, it's non-Jews. So all four of these are non-Jews, but the one that he referenced was Zondervan or Zonderman's Compact Bible Dictionary says that Jews or the Gentiles are Northern Jews. And I was laughing to myself. I was like, so Jews are Jews and Gentiles are Jews which sounds very weird when you read scriptures like Romans 11:25 that says, you know, that the Jews will be blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Cuz then you read it, the Jews will be blinded until the fullness of the Jews comes in. And you're like, well that doesn't make a lot of sense or you know, any verse if you just insert Jew there instead of Gentile, so who's it the, makes it very weird. Who are, who's the wild olive branch grafted in it would probably be to them the scattered jews wherever they were scattered How are they to. a wild olive branch let i have no idea they can't be wild it doesn't make any sense to me you know because i mean none of that i mean right the if the jews are the wild olive branch then how are they grafted in you know we referenced romans 116 earlier you know if it says you know some translations will say it's the power to save Jews and Gentiles. So if you're like, well, it's the power to save Jews and Jews. Well, <laughs> why would you say that? I mean, I think I even brought up one of the verses to him. Um, 
or I think I referenced this one where it said Jew and Greek. Um, my English standard version says Jews and Greeks. And I was like, but what about this? When he says that it's the power to save Jews and Greeks. And he's like, well, you ain't a Greek. <laughs> I was like, what does that have to do with anything? I don't think Paul here is necessarily saying only Greeks, right? It's Jews and non-Jews, you know, just like my verse here, we're all one, you know, neither Jew nor Greek doesn't just mean only Greeks. Slave nor free. So yeah, very funny. Um, I shouldn't say funny. It was a bit disheartening um, to try to have that discussion with him and it didn't last very long, but yeah, just sad. sort of that interpretation, the way they read the Bible, right? It's like, you know, they start with Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 68. And then it seems like the rest of the Bible exists to support that narrative. And then everything just fits into it. So wherever Jesus talks about, he came for, you know, to be the savior of Israel. Boom, that supports it. You know, where it talks about, I think they even make the mention in there that, you know, in Romans 9, he talks about, you know, that somehow Romans 9 is saying that um, Jesus came to save the Jews. That's what Romans 9. And just a lot of weird things. You know, he talked even about his skin color. And I think Jason asked him, you know, how does that make my life better? And he referenced John 8. And he was like, you know, if they know the truth and the truth shall set them free. And I was like, did he just kind of make the point that knowing your skin color is the truth? Like being black is the truth? Because the truth Jesus is talking about there is that he's the Messiah. When you know the truth that he's the Messiah, that sets you free. Not when you realize that black people are Israelites. That doesn't set you free. If you realize your skin color saves you. I don't know. Very bizarre. Again, this is just the best we can understand it. So please let us know if we're off base here. I do have a clip ready to pull up here and play so you guys can get a sense of Bishop Nathaniel. You need the sense. Um, Sorry, I might sound a little more disrespectful. Well, it, it's funny to me. I mean, obviously, I don't agree with it. And it does, you know, when you're talking about, I guess, really blaming white people for still keeping you in slavery, in a sense, you know. That's bizarre. Um, obviously, if you say I can't be saved, that's a bit upsetting, <laughs> right? But not that upsetting because I don't believe you. Um, but I do think he's a super charismatic guy, which I think is important. When you hear him talk and the way that he preaches, yeah. you get the sense that like, oh, that could grab some people, you know, because he's firing. He sounds like he knows the word. He's going into verse after verse. But Again, I would say taking them all out of context. He's very Uh, excited to share. So this is a clip here um, from Bishop Nathaniel. Again, you want to go listen to it yourself. It's right about the 59 minute mark. But let me just play this. Okay, very good question. But I'm going to go back to um, the children of God statement. In Romans 9, verse 7, Abraham had children from uh, Sarah, children from Keturah, children, a child from Hagar. And the Bible reads, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, meaning children of God, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now watch this. That is, 
they which are the children of the flesh, meaning the children that Abraham had through Keturah, the children he had from Hagar and all the other nations. I'm going to read it again. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise accounted for the seed. So everyone is not the children of God. The children of God are only the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, how will your life be better? Let me show you a scripture that Christ said. Christ said this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 25. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works, meaning the commandments, unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And the, as, a, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. Christ promised us world dominion, world domination. That's Yeah, so, um, you know, you hear from that clip, and I forgot that earlier part that it played there, you know, that only you know, uh, Israel was to be saved basically from Romans nine, but that party mentioned there at the end, you know, Christ promised the Israelites world dominion. So basically he promised the black race, um, world power, world dominion, basically. And, you know, because they suffered abuse, uh, you know, the black people, and I guess you could assume in this nation specifically, are going to be granted, um, you know, the position to rule the world. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, but, so not only, you know, does it sound a bit satanic to be pounding the table for world dominion and world power? It kind of sounds like something Satan was trying to offer. <laughs> I give you all of this if you... Right. Me. Yeah. Like but what desire. it made me sound like, or what it sounded like to me the most, is this is the same error the Jews made in Christ's day. You know, they thought that the Messiah was coming to establish a government to throw the yoke yeah. of oppression of the Romans off. And they were wrong. And it caused them, and it still causes them to not recognize Christ as the Messiah. Um, and in these guys' case, it doesn't recognize or doesn't allow them to recognize right. Christ as all of our Messiah. Um, but somehow Christ is going to establish the Jews. Um, he's going to establish the Jews, you know, to some place of world power, um, world dominion, um, but really more authentically, just the black Jews, right? According to them. So uh, they don't say it's by faith. Well, no, it's by adherence to the law that they break the curse. Um, because once they return to adherence to the law, then the curse gets broken. I don't get it. I don't know. No, because he's reading New Testament, but they skip over the faith part. Well, maybe the faith leads them, you know, because it's one of those things, right, where faith in Christ, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, allows us to live according to God's commands. Um, but somehow, you know, again, maybe they're applying it to a bit, you know, again, kind of adding in that old Testament flavor there of, you know, we have to keep the commands in order to earn God's favor. So it's a bit of a, the faith allows the work 
that earns the favor, you know, I don't know. It's very, um, again, it's a weird sort of mix match, I think, there. Um, but, you know, it just kind of sounds to me like kind of a political religion, uh, a religion of power in a sense. And I think maybe that's why these groups are drawn to it. You know, they've kind of bought in to this oppression narrative. And now there's this religion that comes along and tells them like, hey, God wants you to be the ruler. You're the chosen one. You're made to be a ruler. It's kind and of a prosperity gospel, but just for them. In a sense, yeah, it can be. I mean, you're going to be the rulers. World dominion will be given to you. And um, I think this is why certain, you know, some people are drawn to it. You know, it's funny if you go to their website, you can see that they have a celebrity confessions page with people like Kendrick Lamar and Kyrie and Kanye. And, uh, you know, you can come in here and see all of their lure more people in celebrity confessions here. And I was, I don't know what other religious websites have celebrity confession pages on there um, to show the validity of their faith group, I guess. Um, But there's a song down here, you know, Kendrick Lamar, you know, I'm an Israelite, we're Israelites. Um, And it just sounds like to me, it serves man's ego pretty well to say you're God's chosen race. You know, yeah, you were oppressed for all these years, but did you know you're actually his chosen race? And like, if you've already got an ego like a Kendrick Lamar, sounds like it would be something that's enticing. Uh, at least the way it sounds to me. So just an interesting little, if you want to go and see what celebrities are down with Israel United for Christ, and if that somehow cements your uh, belief in them, I guess, because celebrities like it. So. Yeah, um, yeah I just wrote down a few extra points here. I think we already talked about the Deuteronomy 28 part where it seems like that's sort of the foundation of their faith. And then the rest of scripture is just sort of, you know, are used to support that narrative. Um, uh, He did make a passing comment. He didn't expound on it. I wish he would have, but he mentioned, you know, that we're kind of taught in Western Christianity, you know, uh, you're taught December 25th is Jesus's birthday. But then he said, and the immaculate conception. And then he moved on. And I was like, what did he mean about the Immaculate Conception? Like, are we taught that incorrectly? I was curious what he might have thought about that or what black Hebrew Israelites think about Jesus's Immaculate Birth. You know, was he, how did they assume he was conceived and birthed by Mary? I thought that was an interesting little point. Yeah. He didn't expound on it, but I wish he would have. And again, I'm still curious as to what they would consider a Gentile, or do they all just assume they're Northern or scattered Jews of a sense? Um, But then again, I do also wonder how they lump Native Americans in with true Israelites, uh, because that's weird to me. Uh, I don't know. But I feel speechless on a lot of this. I just... It's bizarre. I don't know. Another one that confounds me is their King James onlyists. And that's bizarre to me, you know, because if you believe that only, you know, blacks, Hispanics and Native Americans that are true Israel can be saved, 
why would you use a Bible translated by supposed hellbound sinners? You know, because the King James Bible was translated by, I think it was like 43, you know, white European men in the late 15, early 1600s. Did you bring that up in your comment? I didn't bring it up in there to see why they use it, but it would seem odd that you would use a Bible translated by unsaved, unregenerated people Mm -hmm. and then claim that it was the inspired word of God. You know, it seems like you would find a more, you know, traditional Hebrew or Greek or whatever it happens to be or different translation. And again, maybe they have a workaround for this. I don't understand it. Um, But like, I wouldn't go and use, you know, like the Jehovah's Witness Bible. It's like my main Bible. Because I wouldn't trust that their translation was authentic or accurate. So Mm -hmm. it's just weird that they would be King James only if these white oppressive slave holding, you know, whatever European men translated. It just seems bizarre. Yeah, doesn't add up. Um, The last point that I wanted to make here, and it's not relevant necessarily, or maybe it's completely relevant. You be the judge. But again, this idea of it being a religion of power and stuff. You know, here's the picture of Bishop Nathaniel. And, you know, he looks like a, what came to my mind was kind of like the Jewish version of the Green Lantern. You know, he's got his ring of power here, you know, the robe, the superhero costume. (laughs) And it just seems weird to me. I'm not sure if that's what they're intending to look like, you know, a superhero or if they think that looks super religious, I don't really know what it um, is intended to do, but it's bizarre to me. So uh, that's all we really have on the, you know, there was a lot of things that were discussed. It was a good podcast. We encourage you to go and listen to it. Cause again, you know, black Hebrew Israelites are kind of becoming, you know, in vogue right now because of Kyrie Irving and Kanye West, they've gotten a lot of traction and, you know, popular culture. So if it's something you, you've never really researched or looked into, you may want to at least get a, a foundational understanding of what I think they it's believe. Good in order to, we're supposed to contend for the faith. So we need to know what other religions, I mean, especially if this is like growing one, you need to know how to share the gospel. You need to know the word of God to come against their twisting of the scripture um, because they're not believing the gospel. Um, I don't believe they're saved, in my opinion, because they're not believing the gospel, because the gospel is for all men. I would agree. And, you know, we should love them enough to, <clears throat> you know, if you come across people or you have a chance to speak to one, to to share about yeah. it. And it helps if you understand at least a little bit about what they're talking about. Um, you know, hey, man, like, who are the Gentiles, right? You can't just gloss over Gentiles in scripture and pretend they're not there. You know, the promise was extended to Gentiles. What does that mean to you? You know, it's worth having a discussion on. So it's a fascinating interview. The website is fascinating. So I encourage you if, you know, looking into other faiths is something that you enjoy. Give this one a look. There's a lot there. So Do you have any last thoughts on any topic we discussed at all today before our sermon recommendation? Nope. All right. So for our sermon recommendation, of course, we're going to recommend you go and give Jason Whitlock's podcast, um, the one with Bishop Nathaniel, a listen. 
I think it's worthwhile. But we also want to give you something a little more what we would consider scripturally sound. And the Puritans Conference just recently uploaded all of the, you know, lectures and sermons from that conference they had. So the one I'm going to recommend is you go and give a listen to the first general session on the theological and historical foundation of the Puritans. It was given by Steve Lawson and really good. You know, he's a really knowledgeable man on the Puritan era Christians and, you know, sort of what they believed, why they believed it and how they lived that faith out. I thought it was really moving when I was there. So I encourage you to go give that a listen. I think you'll like it. Um, But otherwise, we'll be back on Monday. We're still going through our uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer daily devotionals, which are really good. Uh, We don't read just word for word the whole devotional. We just take talking points out of it and discuss it. And then next week, um, if the Lord is willing, we'll be back with uh, Gender Indoctrination, Episode 3, and Our Assurances of Salvation. So that is all we got for you guys. God bless. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.